Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Cannon. No, we're not making ICP cannon. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am Grognar the Young, the Young Grognar. We're kicking it to you live. Dark on Carnival! We're not at the Dark <laughs> Carnival. Also, Ronnie's just losing her shit over you saying that. But anyway, uh, we're bringing it to you, the Beggars of the Herald of Steel campaign, the adventure. The Grab ye Fanta. No, that's not the adventure. The Fuck. adventure is not, no. Uh, no. What's the, the drink uh, they drink? It's Fago. Fago. Yeah, Grab ye Fago. I'm sorry. I, You're interrupting my intro for fucking <laughs> Fago references. We're not even sponsored. Hey, guess what? If anybody can guess which one of us doesn't wear a hat, uh, I will send you an empty Fago bottle. But anyway, I mean, it's worth five cents somewhere. But uh, with that, the uh, quest being Schemes and Shadows, the party in the West. What? Ten cents of Maine. You want to take over? No, wait, no, 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 no. Don't do that. Don't do that. No, no, no. So anyway, the party is on a quest right now to go find a man named Obroth, who apparently is a monk who is in the business of reforming spooky evil monks who work for the eyes of failure. The party on their trip to the elven wood of Thalvir run into a gang of these individuals, uh, get into a bloodthirsty combat with one of them who apparently seems to be very in tune with the shadows. After a brutal onslaught and a bit of a combat there, the uh, party of individuals were given, I guess, a little bit of uh, a break when a werewolf comes running out of the absolute nowhere woods and noms on one of the monks that were surviving, uh, we leave pretty much in media res as Anton had just sent one on its way, the werewolf on its way, calming it down and sending it away. But the werewolf gave a very eerie and strange warning as it ran off into the distance and the party can see lights in the distance moving forward. Um, but the one monk that apparently we never addressed that was running away, made it into the tree cover just beyond Jarzak and Norhill and everybody. So if you guys would like to continue with some turn orders, you guys could pop into those bushes. But before we do that, I am going to need a perception check. Uh, what would it, what check would I make to figure out how magnets work? <laughs> it's magic, man. Uh, arcana? That would be an arcana check. I got a three. If you're a dwarf, you get advantage because it's Rocks and, and it's rock based stone magic, cunning. yeah. Stone cunning in the lot. I got a 13 so, on that perception check. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, what else did everybody else get? No, I got that three out of the way. Let's see what I can bring. Ooh, 16. Same. What did you I say? Got... Did you say mime? Same. No, the same. Oh. Mimes. Yeah, she, she conjured the mortal enemy of clowns. Mimes. Sorry, I, I <laughs> And what did Jarzak get? I got a six. Okay, so with that, the 16s, you guys can hear in the bushes, once that monk jumps into there, you hear a sudden stop and a thud to the ground that seems like somebody guided it quietly. How, what do you mean guided? Guided what quietly? Like the thud, as if somebody like... Oh, like something, and the then ground. yeah, I got you now. Okay, uh, can Klikel let uh, Jarzak, Norhill, and Anton know that? Yes. Um, it, it it sounds like someone just took out 
the last shadow dude. And Secret so, style. <laughs> we got counter ninjas. Um, but with that, a sort of how do I want to say it? Uh, an old man who looks I don't know if anybody here knows who Lee Van Cleef is, but yes. this, this old, wrinkly, wizened-looking man with a wispy mustache and hair that seems to be thoroughly receding from the top of his head. Um, he comes out of the bushes wearing very little of anything other than dark green robes that oh, seem to be in like three layers or so, but in layers that seem to give him a really refined look. But he comes stepping out of those bushes and he says, I've captured the last one. He's right there. And he points to the bushes. Do we hear the uh, music from The Good, The Bad, The Ugly? No, only the music from For a Few More Dollars. Ugh. A few dollars a fist, more. A fistful of dollars. That's the first one. A few dollars more is the second. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I've only seen The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. You know, some would argue it's the best one. I think the second one's the best. That fucking ending. The gunfight's pretty stupid. I thought Clint it was going to be the Primus song. What? <laughs> What did you say? <laughs> no, she... there's a song by Primus. Yeah, which one? About Lee Van Cleef. What happened to Lee Van Cleef? <laughs> Why are we? No, you know what? Primus I like, <laughs> but I'm mad that you're bringing it up now. We already had ICP. This is not the weird music episode. Unless we want to make it a musical. What do you mean weird music? Oh, he's in a few dollars more too. Who? Uh, Lee Van Cleef. Yeah, that's how he got into the whole western scene with with clint eastwood but i think his performance in that is way better he plays a sick character in that he's like also a bounty hunter but he's like way cleaner and cooler he's got like a hip stock on his on his six gun and he's just like i don't know fires it like a fucking rifle and you're like what is this man on but also he came out of the bushes and he's pointing at him and he says he's in there i stopped him i want to go check Okay, so as you go walking by and look into the bushes, you see a subdued, shadowy-looking man just laying there unconscious on the ground. And as you're standing there, you're like five feet away from this old guy who looks back at you in a way that he's very, like, pensive and very calm in a way that's almost unsettling, that he, like, just stares back at you as if, like, you don't have a battle axe that could chop him in half, as if he's not, like, a solid 60 years older than you. You know what I mean? Like... He just doesn't care. And he's just standing there and he's like, well, Nicely what done. are we to do? Um, did, did he turn into dust? No. I merely subdued him. I did not kill the man. Would you I, kill the man? I don't know if it is a man. Damn it, it I assumed it's just... Shit. God damn it. I'm sorry, guys. I'm gonna... Hashtag <laughs> cancel young Gragnard. Well, you know, if the Fago bottle in the mail didn't do it, somehow I feel like I'd get flagged by the federal government for that. Like, why are you sending... <laughs> There's like some weird rule about sending the bottle to somebody in Maine to make a profit. I violate some federal law. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a way to get listeners. We'll be the one and only show that was under federal investigation for sending an empty Fago bottle. Whatever it takes. I'm, playing, I'm You know, I'm pissing to the wind on that one. Okay, so what do we got? So with that, he says, would you kill him? Should we? And he kind of looks back and forth at everybody. And you can see that light in the distance has been getting a lot closer, as if now it's only about 30 feet away. You guys can hear that it sounds like there's at least three people following that light. And as he sees you guys kind of looking towards the light, he says, oh, it's my friends. It's okay. Uh, We're yeah. in no position to keep prisoners. I mean, he just turns to dust, so keep it's... Keep a prisoner. I don't think it's... Uh, person it's and Trizak's gonna s- try and swing his axe at him. What? No, the, the, <laughs> the shadow guy on the ground. Like, I'm not gonna swing it at the old dude if that's what we're you're thinking. Digging... No, no, we're literally digging for information. We want to kill the possible route to some form of information. I'm gonna say this happens in actual time. I'm gonna say Jarzak pulls the battle axe to like full ready position, like he's going to, and Anton says that to stop it. Yeah, but like, can't they just go into shadows whenever they want? So as soon as he wakes up, he's just gone. We don't know that. We just assume. And then out there, kill, out there, killing innocents. And that'll be on you. No, we need to talk with them to know something. So in the time that it takes you guys to argue this out, 
the three men with the uh, with the torch come walking out of the distance and I'll walk up beside this old guy and he says as he turns his head away from like the three disciples behind him he looks towards you Jarzak and he says so what would it be is he someone that can be stopped saved parlayed or something else or should he be put down I mean I don't I don't see regular people turn into dust when they die and so with that, he looks back and forth at the people behind him, and he says, well, perhaps some of us have sold our souls, and we seek some sort of forgiveness from some source. And the three guys behind him all kind of like have the solemn look on their face as if there's like some knowing statement in there. And with that, he turns back from them a little bit back towards you, Jarzak, and he says, we have all been saved from the darkness of failure. Would you like to kill this one? Uh, all right, Anton, you win this time. Uh, but if I'll your plan doesn't work, we're swapping back to mine. And so with that, um, the old guy says, my name is Obroth. I am here among the elven wood on some level of a respectable allowance. But seeing you all stay your hand with the lycanthrope, Gave me great faith in what you are doing out here. It's a shame, as he looks around at all the gray dust that's now billowing in the winter wind, and he says, it's a shame that some cannot be saved. And I do not blame you, as he looks over at Jarzak again, he says, for your opinions you may have on them and for how it may seem, he says, but I firmly believe that many can be saved. He says, and even if I die trying to save somebody else, I would like somebody to have done the same for me. And so with that, he turns to the three guys behind him and he says, I don't know exactly what your quest out here is, but I think that perhaps you would like somewhere to stay. And he looks around at your campsite and he says, that might be a little bit more formidable than this. Well, it seems the fates are kind tonight. You happen to be the exact person we're looking for. It's funny how the DM manages to make that happen. But with that, he gives kind of a solemn nod and he says, many seek me but for different reasons. And he looks down at the dust piles again and he says, some cannot reconcile with what I try to do out here and others seek me as he looks back up to you guys. And he says, hopefully for more peaceful and meaningful reasons, but we shall talk more when we get back to my home. And so with that, did you guys want to go with him? Yeah. Yeah. We'll take the shadow guy too. Yeah. yeah, you guys tie, tie him up and all that. The group of three pick him up and do pretty much exactly that to him. Um, never disrobing him or anything like that, but they drag him along. Um, and yeah, after about a 45 minute walk or so through the uh, winter wood here, you guys come across what can only be described as like a stone structure that looks of elven make where a lot of the buildings kind of defy a lot of standards and practices for architectural design where like smaller bases fountain up into larger structures almost blossoming like flowers but these buildings have been long untended and instead thick thick bands of ivy seem to hold this whole place together and it doesn't seem like the winter has done anything to keep this ivy away and as you guys approach closer you can see that entire like stoneworked balconies and like different like parapets and stuff like that that are connected to it are literally only supported by ivy and it looks like the insurmountable weight of full stone structures being held up just by the ivy they don't dangle in any way that seems unsafe or anything like that and as you guys go to the uh, entrance to this strange half stone, half ivy fortress, he guides the three gentlemen in and then he gives you guys a nod and he says, you are welcome here as friends, he says, but I would hope that you would respect everything inside of here and all of the people inside of here. This is a home for people who are trying to get better and trying to gather themselves and learn, he says, and I would respect each and every one of you more if you respect their process of recovery. And far be it for me to violate the law of hospitality. <laughs> Very good. I don't know why that's just Stonewall Hill. Quick insight, just to make sure we're not walking into anything silly. 
It's like, try to get silly I <laughs> don't want to go to Alvarez's house. It is a silly place. <laughs> yeah, <we're> just. <laughs> oh no! Damn it! Not rule. Oh, mirror that makes Klika uh, look really tall and Jarzak look really short. Seems like I like it here. <laughs> <laughs> Infernal magics just crashes the mirror. I got I got a 23. Jarzak, you must destroy that mirror. <laughs> so, with the, and then the guy, Obrot's just like, what did I say? What did I say? Oh, that, um, yeah, no, he seems to be as stable and cool as can be. And not a word of anything he's saying seems to be a lie at all. But with that, he guides you guys in to what appear to be warm and comfortable quarters the place only being warm just because of its level of insulation. Again, looking at the walls, it looks like it's just like nine degrees of thickness of vines in here that are all just kind of woven like a giant sweater of just vines around everything. So it's cold, but it's like a manageable cold, if that makes any sense. Um, there are some lanterns held within here as well, but for the most part, it's something of like a monastery made out of this ivy and stone, but he guides you guys to something that looks almost like I guess a meeting chamber of sorts where there's a few chairs that seem to be almost like wicker basket kind of chairs, like those big like egg shaped ones with a hole in them. And they all dangle from the ceiling from the vines themselves. Each one of them made out of vine as well. And he guides you guys to sit down and he says that he's going to make some medicinal teas for you. If you'd like it, something to warm the spirits and the bones. He's so generous. Yes, please. Yes, please. Sounds wonderful. And so with that, he comes back with the tea on a tray, and you guys all sit in these little swingy seats here, and he asks of you, so what is it that I should be uh, so grateful to have so many kind guests entering my home? Well, we seek you out on the recommendation of Dashmat. And so with that, he gives a couple nods, and he says, very good. He says, I know not of a Dashmani, but I'm sure he only had good things to say. Oh, he said that you would be the person with the foremost insight into the eyes of failure. And so he kind of chuckles a little bit into his tea. And he says, I guess that's one way to put it. And he says, so why the sudden interest into the eyes of failure? Because we need to find some way to stop them from carrying out an assassination long term. And so with that, he kind of like spits his tea back into his cup a little bit as he's just like so thrown off by that, I guess assuming the worst in the whole situation. And he looks up to you slowly over what appear to be haggard eyes and a face that looks like it's seen decades of torment as he looks up at, from his teacup and he looks up at you and he says, I'm sorry, you, you wish to do what? We need to stop the eyes of failure from carrying out an assassination. Uh, Long term, whatever methods we choose to use, there can't be another cell ready to spring up and take the job upon themselves. And so with that, he kind of lowers his tea to his lap and he says, how would you plan on stopping them? What, what, What do you think you could accomplish with an organization such as this I mean, you could cut the head off, but much like a Hydra, two would be there ready and waiting to take its place. That's what we've come to ask you about. He kind of looks at you all with a look of like, like just an incredulous stare as if like you guys are crazy for coming here. And he just says, I mean, to be able to, to thwart the, the organization in this realm of, of Amaroth, you would have to, I mean, perhaps destroy the speaker itself the speaker being some sort of an aspect of of failure itself a living embodiment of all that is evil within the darkness but you there's no way you couldn't do such a thing none of us could you'd have to be foolish or or more powerful than i've come to understand you to pull off such a feat who is it that you're looking to save from assassination Surely the price is not that high that you'd be willing to all risk your lives for it. Um, it's the queen. He says, the queen? Which queen? 
Queen um, Alvera Garavar. Queen Garavar, a daughter of the king in, in the throne? The late king. And with that, he's an only survivor of her name. And so uh, with that, it seems that that news hasn't reached this far. I just haven't bothered to deal with the dealings of humans in some time. And at this point, when he leans down a little bit, you can see that the curls of his sort of receding hairline that passed by his ears seem to give off an air that perhaps the points at the ends of his ears lend some belief that perhaps he himself is more half-elven than actually true human. And so at this point, he says, but nevertheless, this, I guess, is some sort of a grave matter. He says, I imagine there will be quite tumult if the only heir to the throne is killed. I understand why you'd want to do such a thing, but again, I must recommend against it. He says, I just, I don't know how you would even attempt such a thing. He says, have you come here for just information on where to find them, how to defeat them? He says, surely this sort of information can be found from other sources. Is there any way to negotiate? No. Not, no. I'm afraid to say that the hardest part of what I do here in the Ivy Hold, as he kind of looks around this place, he's, he says, is to break the will right. of failure. Oh, I'm sorry. Was that all blocked on your guys' side? Mm. Well, luckily it records on my end, so. But anyway, he says, and unfortunately the thing that makes my job difficult as he looks around the Ivy Hold, he says, I have to restore the spirit to those who have had it drained from them. Those who are willing to become one with shadows and sell their souls for this power. They, they have lost the biggest gift of all. And if you are, are to try and, and, and to act diplomatically with them, you don't understand these fervent aggressors have no will to live. They only have a will to serve. And as long as the aspect of failure still lives and dwells in the heart of darkness and the mountains, then unfortunately there will be more. Perhaps if you can shake the hold that this aspect has over the followers, there will be a glimpse, a glimmer of hope for the people there. And you can see him like pause for a second after he says that. And he looks down at his tea. And for just a second, the coolest, calmest demeanor that this guy has shakes and trembles for just a second under the weight of what he just said and you can tell that there's pain in his voice as he says it he clears his throat gently and he says i understand how this all looks and how this all is he says but i stumbled upon perhaps what could be the only thing that saved me and he pulls out from around his neck underneath his robes a small golden locket and pops it open. You can see inside two delicate etchings and like little ivory pieces that have been lodged in there. One of them looking like a human man and one of them looking like an elven woman. And he closes it again and he says, I don't know how I came across it, but somewhere in my travels as an agent of Folier, I came across a piece of my, my childhood birthright, a, a piece of treasure from my parents, but it's a gift of love between the two of them. I don't know how I came across it. And perhaps, you know, it's like this one said, as he kind of nudges towards Norhill and he says, perhaps this is a meeting of destiny. Perhaps fate has pulled us all here today. And he looks over at Klika in particular and he says, something strange looms around all of you. And something brought me to the woods where you all were. Sure, I heard the din of battle, but something roused me from my sleep to come out here this night. And he looks again at Klika quick, kind of ruffles his brow a little bit. And he says, but no matter, People can be saved, and I'm glad that you took the time to consider the option of peace. I don't know that you'll be able to stop failure itself, the aspect, without some modicum of violence, but the aspect holds its power in this realm through its physical form in this realm. But if it can be defeated, I mean, we may have 100 years of peace without any intervention of the Dark Lord itself. But again, to kill an aspect of failure is... It's near crazy. And unfortunately, I can't come with you. I, I don't have it in me, and I'm afraid to ever see it again. Perhaps it'll rouse the darkness in my being again. But with that, 
I guess my question is, is it your hope to defeat the aspect of failure? If that's our best hope, then it shall be our goal. And so with that, he kind of shifts his gaze across the room to each and every one of the other three, noticing that the dwarf is very much so dedicated to the cause in a really explosive way, but everybody else has what would appear probably to be a look of either hesitance or maybe apathy or something. I don't know what everybody's looking like right now, but he looks to the rest of you. And Kalika, he's like, like walks next to Norhill and puts her arm on his shoulder and says, um, we have to do away with this aspect because um, a lot of people are counting on us not just the humans in the kingdom of Amaroth, but even the dwarves from the mountain of silver and steel need our help. And until we can resolve this, we won't be able to help them either. And so with that, he nods a couple times and he says, as a single tear kind of rolls from his eye and he says, I wish that I had an ounce of the bravery that you all have to storm deep into that crevice. I have lost much in my life due to my weakness, but I have gained a lot of, of, of a lot of understanding through my pain and suffering. But unfortunately there is an aspect of my life that will always be in pain. And that is the feeling of loss. My sister is amongst the ranks there. And when I left, I don't know what happened to her. I don't know if she's still there. And my fear is that she ascended the ranks as I would expect her to. But if you could save her, if you could potentially break this spell from her and restore her faith in herself and life, I would be eternally grateful. And he says, if you are to go there, he says, I would, I would do anything to help you. Well, Klika doesn't think you're weak at all. You, these... Why you that guy in the woods and he just like... <clears throat> those, these acolytes you have, they were once like you, right? And so he gives a nod. And you saved them. And now the information you give us can help us save so many more like them. So... You are the strongest person here, Klika thinks. And so, uh, also, Jared, you had your mouth open a little bit a second ago. I don't know if you were just doing a thing with your mouth. Were you going to say something? Uh, yeah, but Klika's stuff was good. I, I like that. Fair uh, enough, fair enough. I mean, he turns his gaze on to you anyway, noticing you're kind of, I don't want to say the odd one out in the room, but apart from everybody else is like, let's go get him demeanor. The guy who's covered in like bug remains. I mean, you do seem a little bit of an odd man out in this. Yeah, I just assume that like when he looked towards Kleeka, Jarzak was probably in that direction too. And he just assumes that he was talking about something being off with Jarzak. And he's just like, uh, he knows. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for, so, what it, for what it's worth, hearing this whole speech in your head, in your head, you can feel that itching biting sensation in the back of your neck. And you hear almost in a mocking derisive tone in the back of your head, you hear something say, he is pathetic. He can be broken again. Jarzak just lets out like a, like, a on, little man. bit of like a half smile. And then he's just like, uh, yeah. Is there any like distinct feature that your sister has that all these other shadows that all look the same don't like I just and he says she might be one of the only half elven individuals in there she says usually recruits come from the kingdoms of man and I myself used to live amongst the humans so I would imagine if you could find her in there but she must be closer to 90 years old at this point so is Jarzak trying to find another lady to serve? <laughs> no. Uh, it's a no. Jarzak, no. <laughs> no. But with that, he... What is her name? He plucks his necklace off of his, uh, off his neck and unclasps it, and he hands the gold chain over to Jarzak, and he looks over at, um, at Norhill, and he says, her, no her name? He says, her name is 
Auntie Thea. So it's your aunt, not your sister. Uh, I'm gonna let that fall as flat as I can. <laughs> it's not very flat, but you know, flat <laughs> enough. But with that, he says, "If you show her this locket, perhaps she will also see the light in some way. Perhaps she can also be saved." But I still remember the day that I left. I remember the day that I made my decision. I remember how scary and terrifying it was. Much of it was a blur, but it is not too far from here. I know the way to the den of evil, and I know the way to the dark heart of the mountain where they live, so long as they haven't left. But to get there will be very difficult. He says, I'm not certain that you will all survive. He says, but is it your decision to go to this place? I mean, we've been told we won't all survive a couple times now. So Klika's not feeling great, but she still wants to help. And so with that, he nods a couple times and he says, in the Akeratos Mountains, close to Eagleheart, there is a gnomish outpost on the southern peaks known as Bolt Scrag Peaks, which is a strange outpost from what I recall. It is a place that will challenge your conceptions of technology and all that you've come to know about mechanical beings, but my skill got me out of there and my luck did more of the work. He says, to enter such a place, you will need something to power the machine. I don't know if any of you have the ability to harness electricity and lightning, but it will be required to enter. I'm afraid to get any further into that place and get to the center of it, to the heart of evil, it will take great work. So if that is your decision, I think you should be able to manage decently enough. Is this your decision? Click an odds. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just answered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in one of those hangy chairs, just almost completely passed out. <laughs> like, oh shit, we gave him the fermented one. Oh no. Oh, it is just wee. did that thing where you tie it up too tight by spinning around and you let go and you lose all control in your leg. Yeah. Like just slam so hard into something. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oof but with that okay uh and the party's gonna stay here for the evening yeah did anybody have any further questions for this guy um i mean norhill will like pester him with a bunch of like logistical questions you know what does he remember about uh you know the layout um you know what sort of forces to expect how it's defended and most importantly what the aspect is like well, Okay. Hey, to branch off that, what's it take to kill an aspect? To destroy an aspect? I mean, you gotta kill it like no. anything else. And so he says that the aspect uh, is nothing more than just a living presence in the material realm. It is, it is like the embodiment, a physical form of it that can actually be killed. Whereas gods and goddesses are more of a theoretical, like existent in a metaphysical sense. This is like a true, actual living, breathing, eating, pooping form of the beast. So it can be killed, and when killed, that sort of spirit takes a long time to return back to its home plane. So again, much like demons and devils, where there are certain punishments for you know being killed, how it takes like 100 years to come back, it's the same sort of general deal for aspects too. So again, when he said there could be 100 years without any of the IFL year stuff happening, he meant it, and it's true. But apart from that, the layout, what he says is he says it reminds me a bit of something of a flitting nightmare where I remember the sounds of mechanical gears and cogs shifting and and whirring lights that didn't have fire. And he says, and this massive mechanical expanse that I climbed up must have been perhaps 100, 200 feet of inky black darkness. And it's as if failure knew I was leaving as it felt like the walls themselves were trying to pull me down deep into the crevice. And even if I fell and died, it would have preferred me to fall back into its stomach like that. 
and have me dead than to let me go living. He says, I recall something of a, of a voice calling to me sweetly in the darkness, but all that came from it was sabotage and hate, pain and suffering. I just ignored it. I closed my eyes for what I could and I ran. I ran so far away. I'm never going to stop. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, whatever. This was the musical episode. God damn it. I'm going to bring flock of seagulls in if I have to. But, um, and so with that, he says, again, there were strange technologies, but we didn't travel through that exit. We snuck through crevices in the rocks. We escaped in the dead of night through shadowy portals. All I can say is failure is a hungering beast that feasts on souls. And it is the embodiment of darkness and pain lies, poison, and suffering. So I warn you that dealing with it could be a very deadly occasion. Perhaps something to prevent poisons could maybe assist, but the kind of poison that this beast has does nothing in the same way as your typical, you know, spider or scorpion or centipede. And instead this models the soul and just ruins your living essence. So I'm afraid I can give very little advice beyond that, but the mechanical beasts within are not like the living creatures you see out here in the woods and not like the kind of creatures summoned by sorcerers and mages. I'm afraid that one of the reasons we never escaped through the top portal was because it was too dangerous even for the eyes of Felyur to sneak through. Um, what's your plan with this one and she and Klika gestures over to uh, the unconscious bound eye. Oh, well, he's not in there with you guys, but the point's still the same. So with that, he says, we will unbind him from his wraps. We will keep him in a room with only illumination and we will do all that we can to remind him of who he is. We will say his name. We will find out anything we can that we can possibly find about him remind him, give him mirrors to see himself in the light of day, anything to get a glimmer of who he is deep within the dark bowels of his current state. I'm afraid, as he looks over at Jarzak, he says, some days it feels like it's a better idea to just chop them in the woods, you know? He says, I've only saved about 10 people and I've captured about 100. This is not an easy course and those who are saved some revert. I can't guarantee that my sister will come back, but even if it's just for a chance, I'm sure this one is likely not to make it, but you guys gave him that chance, and I think he deserves that, whoever he may be. Uh, is going to go to the back of the room where Anton is mostly asleep and his <laughs> spinny chair why is anton asleep when did this <laughs> nursing his knee that he slammed into a coffee table uh <laughs> and looks over at anton and says um maybe before we go you can give him some blessings of the light it seems that the light is important for driving out this kind of shadow on the soul Anton, wake up. It's time for prayers. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Just wakes up, throws a ration at whoever looks hungriest and sprints off. <laughs> oh, all right. Bye. Of course, as many blessings of the light as are needed shall be shared. And so with that, the uh, Obroth says there as he's kind of sitting in his chair still, in a very reluctant way, he says, I'm afraid that his soul is lost. The light can only do so much to illuminate, but to really connect with his beinghood is a different story. He must find it within himself and give purpose to a life with no continuation. When I die, I will go to no, to no valley in the clouds. I will go to no secondary home amongst the plains. I have no soul. When I die, I will become a pile of that blackened dust that you saw before, as will he. And he looks over at Anton, who's apparently asleep with a banged knee. I don't know when that became canon, but like... It's listen. just, Anton's been very quiet, and... 
you know, that you describe those comfy chairs. It's been a long day. Anton's tired and old and hates the winter. <laughs> just made sense. Oh, you know, that's true. That is also canon that Anton just hates the winter more than anything. That was a strange bit of lore tossed yeah. in there. But either way, with that, he says, unfortunately, the only purpose to his life now is something he's going to have to find within himself. No light can touch through that darkness. And only he can sort out the shadows himself. I think when Klika, as uh, Obroth is describing what's going to happen to him when he dies, uh, just walks over and hugs him around his legs. What? <laughs> like, he's like saying that his soul is gone and that he's not going to go anywhere when he dies, as you know paradise or anything waiting for him it's just this one mortal life and i think that like klika realizes how hard that must be and walks over and gives him a hug that's fair and so with that he gives a gentle look and you see tears kind of roll down his face a little bit and he says i've come to peace with my fate and if anything it gives me more of a reason to try for these people to give them the chance to live whatever life they might find outside of here and he sort of like kind of whimpers a little bit to himself and he says, you all have rooms here. I can spare rooms for all of you. They're not great, but it's better than being hey, out in the cold. Hey, hey but I have, I have one more question. And so he turns to you. But about these shadowy guys, can they see in magical darkness? Oh yeah, definitely, dude. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, that is very handy to know. Thank you very much. Like that, that, that was first day of training. They gave us these sweet goggles, traded our soul, can see in the dark. Some might say it's not a great trade, but... Yeah, like... What's... Okay. What's like, one invocation, you know? Hey, you know, what's the point of, like, you know, saving yourself if your soul doesn't go... I don't know, man. You're doing a lot of good things. And so that he looked the Jarzak in a way and he kind of like, not in a way that he like chuckles, but like when you ask the question so bluntly, he's like, yeah, no, they can definitely see in the dark. And he looks at you in a way, recognizing that there's some hidden underside element when you ask that. And he kind of nods a couple of times and he's like, takes a sip off his tea in a knowing way. And he looks to you and he says, but they can be saved. Everyone can be saved. Yeah. Yeah. Same. I can see in darkness too. So it's fine. And he says, yeah. <laughs> Everyone can be saved. No, I'm just kidding. But he turns to you and he says, it's never too late for anyone. Uh, yeah. If you say so. You hear the itching voice in the back of your head and it says, if he died, no one would weep. It's getting hot yeah. here. I'm sure everyone, everyone has a chance to be saved. Yep. Single centipede rolls out. I don't know from where, but it just does. Just plays that fucking like the what's it called risky business that. (laughs) Was that a centipede? No. (laughs) Like, did you see that too? Nope. Um, (laughs) And so with that, he guides you guys to a chamber where you can all stay for the evening. And again, it's modest, but it's comfortable enough. And in the morning, you guys are summoned to have what could only be described as a strange, milky, goopy kind of green paste, which is probably the minced end of the ivy sprigs here that have been spiced and tamed to taste generally good. You know, it's warm and it makes shit. So it's edible. It's something you guys can eat. Okay. And so with that, you guys are all given this. And so with that, uh, Obroth turns to Anton after you guys have completed your meal in peace. And he comes back into the chamber and he says, uh, would you like to say a, a prayer for this one? And so Dantage, as he kind of like takes off his uh, kind of clears up his plate, just realigns his robes. <laughs> what's, what's the state this guy's in? He says, I think you should come see. Yeah, I gotta go see. And so with that, he brings you down into the basement. Can she's gonna join for the prayers? Okay, she knows some of them now. Very good. And so with that, um, he guides you both down into the basement to a chamber that's being guarded by at least five or six of these individuals down here. 
and you can tell that the door itself, you can hear somebody yelling and yet like just shouting at the top of their lungs on the other side of the door. And he pushes the door open. And before you is a room that's like blindingly white, you know, like this just like very bright white from all different sides. There's these magical lamps that are hoisted on the ceiling and it's like a 10 by 10 room. And this guy is just running around slamming his fists on the, on the walls. And he himself is in nothing more than just like a loincloth, but he's just like a haggard looking 35 year old blonde man. And he's just slamming his arms on the wall and like with reckless abandon, just like torturing himself, just slamming himself against these walls, anything to like possibly break his way out of here. And with that, Obroth kind of turns to you and he says, I don't know if you have anything you could say to potentially ease his suffering, but his soul is in torment and it is a moment where he's realizing how little he has of control in this realm. Is there anything you could do? There's no chance I could use calm emotions on him, is there? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try that again. Is it the same wisdom? Yep, charisma. uh, Charisma of 13. Sure. Okay. And so with that, what does it look like? So is Anton just kind of left in the room with him? Like alone? Yeah, Anton, Klika, and this guy are in the room standing right outside the doorway. And it seems in the blinding light that this guy can't see anything going on outside of the doorway. As if he's like in those big giant floodlights just boiling his eyes. Well, Anton kind of like, he kind of just says, come look down. The light seems to be too much for you. And so not that, best to look directly into the light. In a haggard voice that sounds like blood curdled as if like he's been shouting to the point of like like genuinely damaging his throat. He says, he says, let me out of here. He says, I I need to go. Please, I will be punished. Let me go, or I will kill all of you. You are punishing yourself. And I thought he just kind of is there. There's like no way, like he's gonna try to get a hold of him and just keep him from like running. Like he'll just to kind of hold him steady. Okay. And just kind of like just like look toward the ground. And click it will move up and hug him too. Essentially around the legs, like before. (laughs) And so with that, he looks to the ground, and he says, "The light is not as blinding." He says. Why have you taken me here? It seemed it wasn't your time to end. Obroth steps forward. Obroth steps forward and puts a hand on the guy's shoulder as well. And he says, there is always time for change and salvation. He says, trust that there is more to life than the punishment of those who disapprove of you. Please, you must believe us. And so with that, you feel all the tenseness in his muscles and everything come to like relax a little bit under the hugs of both Anton and Cleek. Well, Anton's got the hands on the shoulder. Cleek is holding him at the leg and this guy's got the hand on the shoulder, but you can feel him like physically release his tension as he just kind of like loosens a little bit and his breathing starts to stabilize a little bit after what appears to be almost like two minutes of this guy just heavily breathing. He comes to like a point of balance and like regulation. And with that, he just kind of like, falls to the ground on his knees and falls to the ground like in like a fetal position and just starts weeping to himself and obroth takes a knee beside him and just starts to kind of gently brush his hair back almost like a father to like a son sort of deal here and he looks to both Klika and anton and he gives kind of a nod to the doorway oh i thought we were gonna do some yoga <laughs> so comic stretches we're not doing calming stretches like fucking yoga i'm gonna do some dog pose facing sun pose tree pose downward facing dog downward facing dab so with that nice uh, you guys walk out of the uh click a dabs on him (laughs) has no business being that funny but just bam just (laughs) down he's like this is a place of peace and harmony like (laughs) (laughs) um okay and so with that uh you guys leave the chamber and after about 30 or so minutes uh he comes out and he walks down the hall to you guys and he says i have never seen someone come to grips with their salvation so 
so sincerely and so quickly. He says, perhaps this shows that the grasp of failure is not as strong as I first assumed, but if anything, you have given me great faith in your abilities. I want you both to have this. And he pulls out a small glass jar and it's like corked at the top with like a, you know, just like regular cork stop. But inside is a single like stem of ivy with three individual leaves on it. And he says, this place was created from this one sprig of ivy. I had broken off a single piece and planted in the earth. And with the power of nurturance and positivity, a leaf, this place grew from the ground and I created a home here. I don't know how much of my positivity still is with this, but I think that if it can aid you in your journey on a trip for true salvation, I think you deserve it. There are great miracles to be found within this sprig. This ivy can do much to save you. I wish you the best of luck on your journey. And he turns away after giving you guys kind of a wry look and he walks back down the hall to that chamber. So for what it's worth, um, you guys are gonna be given enough trail rations for the day, but did the did Cleek and Anton have anything they wanted to say to Norhill and Jarzak or anything before they go? Um, I don't think so. Just pack up the stuff and get ready to move on. Fair enough. Yeah. Did Jarzak or Norhill have anything they wanted to do first or say first? No. Nope. Okay. And so with that, as the party leaves, heading towards Boltscrag Peak, uh, hoping to find some sort of an end to the aspect of the Eye of Failure, that is where we're going to wrap it up. Hey everybody, it's the Young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.